Hello there, friends, and welcome to another fun-filled episode of Syracuse Sports presented by Krause Health, the exclusive healthcare partner for SU Athletics. I am your host, Brent Axe, and uh, I am recording this on Leap Day. It only happens every four years, right? February 29th, and it gives us an extra day to ponder if the Syracuse men's basketball team can make a march to March Madness. One more day of bracketology bubbles and being frustrated about the net rankings. I really wanted to try to get to the bottom of this, and you guys have been incredible about sending me many, many examples of flaws in the net ranking. Why is this team ahead of Syracuse? Hey, they beat that team twice. What's going on here? I tried to get to the bottom of this, and I think we did. We'll see. I'm sure you'll listen to it and come up with many more examples of how Syracuse is getting just jobbed out of the very least being on the bubble. And frankly, I don't have a strong pushback on that, but it all makes for interesting discussion, right? So we brought on Patrick Stevens today, who is one of the best bracketologists out there, in my humble opinion, and can really break down what the system is, why the the net rankings favor certain leagues, right? Feels like the Big 12 is kind of game the system a little bit by beating up on some quad four cupcakes here, the ACC. Why is it only getting four or five teams in bracketology? And of course, what is the path for Syracuse to get to the NCAA tournament? I think we all know the easiest answer to that is to adhere the advice of SU alum, Al Davis, the great uh, longtime owner of the Raiders. The Raiders. Autumn Wind is a pirate. Just win, baby. Just keep winning, and they'll take care of business. But what if Syracuse does not win the ACC tournament? Let's, let's be fair here. It's pretty unlikely at this point, given their uh, poor history in the ACC tournament. But short of that, what is the path? Win out, win two in the ACC tournament. What does it look like? So Patrick Stevens is going to lay that out for us. We'll talk bracketology. We'll talk net rankings and try and figure out just what the heck is going on with this thing, okay? In the meantime, you see it there on your screen if you're watching on YouTube. Our Syracuse Sports Insiders. Man, did you guys have a lot of great questions for Patrick. Every time we record a podcast, I send you a note and tell you, hey, we're having on in this case, Patrick Stevens, or maybe Kelly Gramlich, if you didn't get a chance to listen to that podcast. We did an Axe Brent Anything podcast, and you guys brought amazing questions to that. That was an exclusive to our Syracuse Sports Insiders, by the way. All the questions came from you guys. So why don't you come on board and become a Syracuse Sports Insider today? All you have to do is text the word ORANGE to 315-847-3895. Sign up. It's uh, two weeks free, by the way. Try it out. See if you like it. See the deal. And then just $3.99 a month after that. And what it means to be a Syracuse Sports Insider is you text me directly. I text you directly. There is a group text that I sent out to the whole crew. Up, to, I'll give you a great example. So last night, I'm at the Dome, Syracuse Army. It's an incredible game. And I'm sending you guys updates from that game. And it was great to get some feedback from some of you. Like, oh, cool. Thanks for the heads up, man. I, You know, it's on ACC Network Extra. Maybe it's just not on your radar that Syracuse Lacrosse is playing. And it brought a lot of people to whatever screen they needed to be at to watch that game or offer opinions on that game. And that's the beauty. Like, I'm, I'm your watching buddy. You're watching Syracuse basketball, lacrosse, whatever the case may be. Just text me. I'll text you back. We'll have a good working conversation. Your uh, comments are highlighted on this podcast and our Syracuse basketball postgame shows 
as well. So the benefits are a plenty. And I just love hearing from you guys and getting your feedback and your comments and your questions and helping you out with whatever I can. And, and you get it first from me, by the way. Opinions, any breaking news I have, our Syracuse Sports Insiders get it first. Sign up today. We'd love for you to be a part of the community. All right, let's jump in here and try and figure out what the heck's going on with this net ranking and bracketology. And can the Orange do it? Can they, at the very least, have a nervous selection Sunday awaiting its bid? Patrick Stevens is here to tell us all about that. Patrick, it's like that great, probably the only good scene from The Godfather Part 3 and uh, a great meme that's on the internet. Just when you thought they were out, they pull you back in. Syracuse is back, baby. They're back on your screen. All you bracketologists thought you didn't have to deal with Syracuse this year, but they're back, baby. They are, they are back after having uh, dropped 80-plus points on three consecutive opponents, uh, two of them at home. Uh, and, and they've got kind of this weird set of metrics that you look at, and the result-based metrics are actually pretty good. The predictive metrics are not good in any way whatsoever, and it has everything to do with the fact that Syracuse has specialized in close victories and blowout losses yes. throughout the season. yes. They have a fascinating resume. So I'm just, let's just lay it out here as we speak here on Wednesday, February 28th. What's the path to the tournament for Syracuse if there is one? Well, the easy answer, the, the kind of the smart aleck answer is, is say win four games in DC, and that'll definitely do it. But um, I think it's important you, you look at the remaining schedule, only two games left. Uh, let's be honest, the, the the game at Louisville does no good whatsoever. Like, if you win, it's a game you're supposed to win, and it mm-hmm. doesn't help your resume in any way. And if you lose, it is a cataclysmic loss, the sort of thing <laughs> right. that you're just not supposed to do. Now, Louisville of 2024 is not as bad as Louisville of 2023, but it's still not a good idea to go and lose that game. So just understand that that is essentially – you know, treat that like you're uh, like one of your early season games where you just have to win it. Like you don't, and you're not going to think about it again. Nobody's sitting around right now thinking about, um, you know, how Syracuse fared against New Hampshire. Um, although I do have that up on my screen right now, and they won that game by 11, which is another one of those like not quite blowing people out type of games that Syracuse has. Next up, they go to Clemson, which would be an immensely helpful victory for a Syracuse team that right now you could argue has, what, two victories over likely tournament teams right mm-hmm. now? They, they have the victory over, over North Carolina at home, and they have the victory over Colgate, the Patriot League leader. If you want to stretch that out a little bit, you could sit there and say, well, you know, Cornell could be the Ivy League champion, and that's perfectly valid Cornell could be the Ivy League champion but if you're stretching it out beyond that you're getting to well you're hoping Pittsburgh firmly plays its way in and and right now I don't think the Panthers are a lost cause by any stretch of the imagination uh you know the the loss to Clemson didn't help uh but they're also I think they've got work to do as well probably not as much as Syracuse but a victory at Clemson would help it would it would add to that after that, you're staring at probably what? Playing in the 6-11 or 7-10 game in all likelihood at that point? Yep. Um, whoever you're beating in that game probably isn't going to help you a whole lot either. 
So if I'm Syracuse and knowing that there's a bunch of other variables out there, uh, I, I feel like I probably am going to have to find a way to win at least four more games, knowing two of them, the, the Louisville game uh, on the road, and then also whatever that first ACC tournament game is, probably it aren't going to be major assets. And that's at minimum. And you go ahead, and if you lose that Clemson game, that gives you even more work to do at the ACC tournament. So uh, I, I am I'm definitely curious, just from a, a stat nerd perspective, to figure out what the committee is going to do with a team that has – the result-based metrics that are as good as Syracuse's and the predictive metrics that aren't as good. I mean, we're staring here at, uh, you know, KPI and strength of record of 39th and 45th, which yeah. are pretty, pretty good. good. You yeah. know, they're not, yeah, that's not, that's not the sort of thing that you go with, all well, that's automatically going to get you in, but you'd rather have that than the, than the Ken Palm ranking of 85. So, uh, and then ESPN's metric has them at 99th. And, you know, I've always kind of found that, that number to be the, the ESPN metric to be a little dubious. Uh, I don't know how the committee thinks of it, but I, I, I that's just my own personal preference. Yeah. And their, their um, RPI is strong and you cover lacrosse and you know how that metric is still critical in, in well, determining it's critical in lacrosse, in it's lacrosse been replaced yeah. in basketball. Right. So like, I don't, I haven't looked at the RPI for basketball in an eternity just because Well, that that's telling because the, a lot of Syracuse fans, I think are clinging to what they can at this point. The RPI is 28. The strength yeah. of schedule is 11. They're just like throwing everything they can at the wall at this point. But that's intriguing to me because we have made the shift. The net ranking is what it is. And from what you can see, and how we're heading this year, Patrick, and what you've seen in, in recent years, is the committee just like net ranking, that's it, that's the metric, that's what we use, this other stuff is just fluff? Or are you starting to see a shift away from that? Like, what's your best read on just the, how the, critical they are? The read on it is that it's a sorting tool. And so, you know, I know that when I go through, and I'm not completely replicating the committee's exercise because I don't have like 12 people in my, in my head trying to argue it out. I'm just one guy. But the idea is, is that your net ranking doesn't matter as much as the net rankings of the teams that you've faced. So if you're Syracuse and you're two and seven in those quad one games, and, and we can sit here and say the quads are arbitrary and all that. And they, and they somewhat are, um, but that's what matters more, like more than the number 82 next to their name. Now, the other element of it is, is realistically, you don't see too many teams landing at larges that, that wind up outside of, say, the top 70 in that. So, you know, I think there's probably some sort of built-in cognitive awareness that a team that has the number 82 next to them, when you're talking about a 68-team field, there's probably going to be a little extra skepticism there. So... Uh, you look at Syracuse, they obviously have a couple questionable losses. At the end of the day, most of the teams they'd be compared to at the edge of the field are going to have a couple questionable losses. So you wish they hadn't lost to Florida State if you're a Syracuse fan. You wish they hadn't lost to Georgia Tech. But that's not a, that's not a distinguishing feature one way or the other. But I do think um, when you see that disparity in the result-based metrics and the predictive metrics – it's going to prod somebody in that room and probably multiple somebodies into saying, 
well, why is there such a great disparity? And we, and we already talked about it. When we start looking at teams that Syracuse has played that are in the tournament right now, you know, lost by 17 to, to Tennessee, lost by, I'm doing the quick math here, 36 to Carolina, by 20 to Duke, by 19 to a Gonzaga team that's borderline, uh, by 29 at Wake Forest, uh, by, by uh, 22 to Virginia. And, and when you start getting into some of these teams that you might be compared to at the edge of the field, that doesn't really help you out very much. So, you know, yes, the, the net ranking isn't great, but it, it's kind of digging into the, you know, the, the, the details and the weeds uh, that probably help Syracuse even less than just that raw number. Patrick, uh, when you look at the ACC, people are, are looking at this and it feels like it's five and anything beyond that would be like a fluke. Somebody goes through the ACC tournament and, and wins like a Syracuse, for example, right? What's the AC? I'm trying to think of the best way to frame this question, because maybe they're just not that good of a league, but this year, you got the big 12 that's got nine, the SEC with seven, the big 10 in the mountain West have six bids, depending on, you know, which bracketologist you go by. As you look at it now, how many ACC teams do you have in? How many do you think will get in? And what's kind of the ACC's deal with the net ranking? What, what's holding them back, if that's even the right way to frame that question? Uh, well, I, I think some of it, you have to remember when we start talking about leagues, you, you know, it, it's not the, the committee isn't just allocating, well, this league's going to get this many and this yeah. league's going to get this many. It's individual teams. Uh, and so, you know, I, plenty has been made about a number of Big 12 teams that won out and uh, didn't play great non-conference schedules uh, and blew a lot of people out. Uh, and some of those teams have, have held up quite well in conference play, like an Iowa State. And, and some of them have, have kind of fallen apart, like Cincinnati. Um, you know, everybody says, oh, well, margin of victory isn't in the net ranking. Well, when you include, you know, essentially offensive and defensive efficiency, that's baked into the cake there. Like, if you go out and you win a game by 35 points, let's say, you are, you know, and let's say it's about a 70 possession game. Well, at that point, you're talking about uh, a scenario where your points, your your efficiency difference is, is half a point better. And you've only got 30 some data points. So you're dropping that game in there along with, you know, if you're, let's say, let's say you're Cincinnati, that goes in there just the same as your game against Kansas. So uh, there, there, there's that to be said there. To give double back to your question about the ACC, I think you're looking at three teams right now that could probably lose out at this point and still be okay. In fact, I mean, North Carolina and Duke definitely could, and Clemson almost certainly could. After that, you have Virginia and Wake that I think have done decent work. You know, Wake obviously had itself uh, one of its more colorful weeks here, having beaten Duke and then lost at Notre Dame. Uh, but that's actually better for them, given that they didn't have any quad one wins, any high end wins, than if they had lost to Duke and beaten Notre Dame. They're almost better off having the the questionable loss in there. And, and by the way, this is another one of these great quirks about the net. They lose to Notre Dame and that loss or rather that Notre Dame win drags Notre Dame into the top 135. Hmm. So that's not a quad three loss. It's a quad two loss now. But it could always flip back and forth. here. Right over the last few weeks right on the cut line. Yeah. Um, and then I think Pitt's in not, I'm not, I don't think Pitt's in, but Pitt has a 
reasonable opportunity in front of it uh, if it handles its business. And it obviously depends on what some other folks do. Uh, and then after that, you're getting into teams. I think Syracuse is probably the next in line uh, in the ACC, followed eh, probably by like NC State or somebody like that, or Virginia Tech even. Uh, but those are long, long, long shots once you, once you you know get down there to the seventh and eighth teams. You know, I, at the end of the day, the, the, so much of what happens in terms of selection is sort of baked into the cake um, during non-conference play, and it simply comes down to winning uh, a lot of good non-conference games and also avoiding bad non-conference losses. Which, to be fair, the ACC in aggregate did a better job of this year. Uh, than it had in in the last couple seasons. You know, it, it, the other element to that is when you have, you know, however many teams in your league, like everybody likes to make these conference arguments as kind of pointless as they are. Uh, they make these conference arguments largely based on, well, these are the top five teams or top six teams or top seven teams. And, you know, those teams at the bottom count too. And so when you have a scenario where your 11th place team is pretty decent. Like if you think about what the big 12 had been the last few years and the, the ninth and 10th place teams were, you know, at least on the periphery of postseason conversation in mid February, whether they should have been or not um, that's better than when you had like last year's Louisville in the mix, or when you had last year's Cal, if you're the pack 12 in the mix. Uh, so you know, that's sort of what goes into that, I think. Um, ultimately, uh, the ACC basically has to win more games. And by the way, I'm not so sure that bringing in Stanford and Cal and SMU is going <laughs> to make that task any easier moving forward. Exactly. So just a quick follow-up on that. What I keep hearing, and this is old habits dying hard in a way. I remember when Syracuse got snubbed out of the tournament, I want to say it was 2007, and that was a year when they had 10 wins in the Big East. And that was the big outcry. How could a 10-win Big East team not be in the tournament? So is that something we got to get out of our heads? Because Syracuse is a 10-win ACC team. Like, yes, does... uh, you, you absolutely have to do that. And, and okay. by the way, like a big part of there, – there's a few reasons why. But especially in the last you know 15 years or so when leagues have grown and become bloated. Exactly. And yeah. now you're not playing the same conference schedule. Like – so so what? Syracuse's double opponents, as I look at here quickly, are what? Louisville is a double opponent. Mm -hmm. Clemson. Clemson, Pitt, and who? Carolina. And Carolina. So that's actually not bad. Um, that's actually probably better than what you would – you would actually say that their 10-8 and eight might be a little better as a result of having played Carolina, Clemson, and Pitt twice. Now, they obviously have to play Clemson a second time. But you can make a case that depending on the team's schedule – that one team's 10 and 10 might be better than another team's 11 and nine, just because maybe the, the hand they got dealt was that they got to play four of the top five teams in the league twice. And the other team got to play four of the bottom five teams in the league twice. So uh, yeah, conference record, not really, uh, not really a significant uh, consideration at all. So Patrick, as you're doing this, uh, I, we've discussed the net ranking and how heavy it applies here. And you're doing this based on what the committee does. But as you take a step back and look at it, you mentioned how the Big 12 played all the non-conference opponents, blew them out, how these metrics work, the quad two win and the cut line, as you mentioned there. Mm -hmm. I guess, what's your opinion on the net ranking and where it's at? Have we seen some flaws exposed here? Is it still the best metric we have to kind of 
use as one of the main gauges for this thing? Like, where are we at with the well, net, in your well, opinion? I, I think the net, I mean, I, what is it? it? It's the the name of it is what? The NCAA evaluation tool, yes. right? Okay. And I think the key word there is tool. Like, if you take a tool, like if you take a hammer and you like, are, are hammering a, a nail into into a piece of wood, well, then you're using the tool correctly. If you take a hammer and you just attack your wall and you put a <laughs> hole in it, you're not using it correctly. So it's not so much what the, the data is, what's, what's the process, you know? And, and I feel like the longer I look at this, and, and this goes over multiple sports, because um, I think about that lacrosse scenario from from two seasons ago when Notre Dame and Duke were left out. There was yeah. there were certainly some, uh, you know, there there were. I'm tr- I'm trying to th- think of a of a fair way of putting it. There were some r- rhetorical pretzel making there, you know, <laughs> to be able to get to that point. But you know, if you're creating that logic, you can follow it that way. But it took a little bit of contortion to do it. Yes, it did. You know, so the question becomes. What what is your process like, and what's kind of the point of your established process? And I feel like the point of the established process that the NCA has, and this is this is no knock on anybody on any individual committee. This is just sort of structurally and culturally what has been set up. Is you have a process and you go through it, and you get to the end of the process, and what you do is you say, "Hey, we followed the process." And it doesn't matter if the process is actually like logical or sensible or if it's or things have evolved to a point where maybe you need to factor in other things. You have a written down process and you follow that process uh, and you just kind of get to the end and that's it. So I, I do wonder about process more than the actual tool that's there. I mean, you can find several, you know, obviously there's five metrics on the team sheet by themselves. Uh, that are that the committee is looking at. You can evaluate things in any number of ways. You could basically try a scenario where you throw the numbers out and you go, "Oh, I just saw this team play well, and I think they're pretty good." And people would would raise holy hell about that. Mm-hmm. Um, but is there some value in in using that a little bit? I don't know. Um, I, my my bigger issue there would be, you know you can sit there and complain about gaming the metrics. It's harder to game this metric, I think, than it was to game the RPI because you could just stack wins and you could get away with it. Like here, you you know, you can sit here and say you scheduled easier. You still have to go out and beat the the teams on your schedule, right? Like, I mean, you can sit here and say that, that Syracuse had some games that, that it scheduled that it figured it was probably going to win by a little more than say 12 over Canisius and 12 over Niagara, who's actually pretty good. Um, you know, from, from what I've seen in the Metro Atlantic this year at 11 over New Hampshire, like you can sit there and say, well, you had your chance to beat those teams by 30 and you That's didn't. Right. Yeah. So, you know, it's easier said than done to, to go beat a team by 30 or 40 or whatever that number is. So, you know, the process more so than the tool and the data I think is is probably what warrants a larger look. Uh, you know, it's funny. Uh, I was having a conversation with somebody yesterday about something. I think it had been in the athletic because they had texted me something about how, for example, uh, the the committee chairman said something to the effect of, um, "Well, we're going to if Tennessee is gets gets a preference, we're going to send them to Charlotte rather than keep them in state in Memphis." 
because Charlotte is closer to Knoxville than Memphis by like <laughs> 150 miles. Yeah. And, you know, that's an example of, well, the, yeah, you're following. And they even said, like, we're following our pro, we're going to follow our process. Well, the process doesn't match with logic there. No, like if you're, no, if you're Tennessee, yeah. you want to play in state and have all your fans show up rather than, you know, okay, you might have some Tennessee fans in Charlotte, um, but how many people are going to make that trip? There's probably more Tennessee fans in Memphis, even if it's further away for the team than there are in Charlotte. So, uh, you know, that's the sort of example of, well, you know, you get yourself into a very rigid approach and maybe you're not maybe you're not doing what really makes the most sense at that point. Patrick, last thing for you. Uh, this has bubbled up again. Ninety-six teams or some sort of expansion of the NCAA tournament, putting aside the extra work that would create for you and, and they and projecting this stuff. How do you feel about that? Because I'm not in favor of that at all. You I, know, I, I I was I was on a I was on a radio show a couple days ago, and somebody asked me, you know, is it just inevitable that the NCAA is going to expand this? And I said, oh, don't you worry. I have all the faith in the world and the people that run college sports and the TV executives and all this to find a way to mess it all up. <laughs> Complete right. confidence, absolutely. Okay, you know, the more you do with that, like. One of the things I like to I have a friend that's in in uh, athletic administration in a mid major league, and one of the things I like to tell him it, about stuff is if we went back to the 1950s and told people, yeah, horse racing and boxing are going to be complete niche sports in another 70 years, what would they say? You know, if we went back in time 25 years and NASCAR was having its moments, uh, and you know, and said, oh well, this is all going to crumble and attendance is going to collapse. Uh, and you're going to be in trouble in terms of, you know, this, this wild expansion that you're doing. Like nothing's guaranteed to remain popular for eternity. And if you mess with this thing uh, too much, I think there are there is tinkering that can be done. And remember, back when it was at 65 and there was talk of going to 96, it almost felt like that was put out there as a boogeyman. And then they said, oh, we'll just go to 68. So, you know, if, if you're the if you're the committee or if you're the NCAA and your various institutions, um, on the one hand, you could make an argument for let's ha- how about we add a Western date, right? Like add, add four more games and play it every year in Vegas or in Albuquerque or in Salt Lake City. Those are the three cities that made the most sense to me when I thought thought it through. Um, Albuquerque and Salt Lake because they have a long history of supporting the NCAA tournament. Um, and it would be, you know, especially in Albuquerque, it would be a, something that people would make a big deal out of like they do in Dayton. Vegas, because it's Vegas and it's easier to get to and, and you know, you have a gazillion arenas, so you could theoretically just go ahead and play four games at once rather than, uh, rather than have four games over two days. But, you know, that's, that's one thing you could do. That, and that probably would be okay. But if you're going to be afraid of what your power conferences are going to do and say, well, we're going to go like the whole NIT debacle that's occurred uh, this year, uh, getting rid of the automatic bids for the regular season champions, guaranteeing two spots for each power conference. You know, at some point, if you create a 96 team field and we're going to sit here and take the, well, at this point, since we're talking about bloated leagues, uh, if we take the 12th team out of the Big Ten and have them play the 11th team out of the SEC in a first-round game, like, A, how many people really care about that? Mm-hmm. And B, you know, 
you've been around teams and I've been around teams that have slogged along around 500. And at this yeah. time of year, a yeah. lot of those teams, they just want it to end. You know, they'll, they'll put up a good fight and, and, and do that, but no one's like at, at the end of a, at the end of a kind of long meandering sort of pointless season where you've just sort of bobbed around 500, and not had any great moments. Like, just kind of you're just sort of relieved it's over and now and now you gotta like can you imagine having basically told that north carolina team last year that wanted no part of the nit that you didn't know which version of it was going to show it's like yeah you got to go play in a in a what i'm trying to think of the exact number that would be right in in a 14 18 game yeah you know like would you really would you really want that so a 15, eight. That's a great question. I guess it depends on branding, right? Because, you there, know, if they, they come up with some name for it, like the first four or something mm-hmm. of that nature. And I think ultimately people will just, uh, because we're in a gambling society, like, hey, great, more games to gamble on and, and the people will watch it. But I think what you said hits home, Patrick, in the sense that you can bloat this thing a little too much. There's more competition out there. Frankly, there's probably more interest in the women's tournament this year than the men's tournament. Like, you don't push this too far down the road, given the options that are out there. And again, the the voices that are calling for this are the same voices that were calling for the first time. TV executives, people that screw it up, coaches, of course, are well in favor of this. Oh, of because yeah, look, we were in the tournament it, last year, it, right? It, yeah, yeah, everybody everybody gets a bonus as a result. Exactly, so, exactly. So, but yeah, it's you know, it would not shock me if if the the initial way to solve this would be to add four, maybe even eight, or something like that. That's um, more reasonable. And and so, if you wanted to sit here and make a rational argument, and I'm looking it up now, um, like how many Division One teams were there? in 2010 when they initially made this this decision right so um you know, i want to say were, probably like 305 there were actually 347 so division, oh wow the so division one has yeah. only has only grown in net by 15 teams in that span interesting uh, so i actually thought it was a little lower too like closer to 340 but you know you can make you can make that case well the, the membership has grown a little bit this that and the other and like I said, you could you could basically essentially make it a more geographically friendly deal so that you don't have to fly like UCLA or a St. Mary's or a Mountain West team all the way to Dayton. You'd have some someplace that's a little bit more uh, palatable for for a quick trip and then on to whatever the next. Stop well, is. and then I'm thinking up up close to home here, Patrick, Lemoyne just goes Division one. Mm-hmm. And by the time this would go through, they would their moratorium would be over and they could get in because you have mm-hmm. to sit out for four years. So I think they'd be all in favor of it because they just want to put the banner on the wall that they had a shot at the NCAA tournament. And I guess you could sell some of those mid majors that you, you got here's more I, I room just, for you I, but I don't, I don't do we really believe the, those are the teams that are going to get in that's that's the debate yeah i don't yeah. i don't think you're selling i don't think you're selling the northeast conference on an extra bid there like i mean that that's a league that sent its champion to dayton every year since i think 2013 so these are power leagues you that know you're you're you're, you're, yeah. you're you're gonna be able to sell it it's gonna be more palatable to a missouri valley that would look at a larger field and say well drake's gonna get in this year as a result of that, we don't have to worry about that. It would be palatable to a Sun Belt that would be sitting there saying, you know, if if somebody other than App State or James Madison wins the tournament, we might have a three bid league this year. 
Um, it would be palatable to a league that's consistently good, if a little under the radar, like the Southern Conference. But if you are routinely at the bottom, uh, bottom five league, basically, it, unless you had a, a monumental upset in your conference tournament, if, if maybe the best of the Colgate teams of recent years, to give you another local example, had lost, maybe you could have argued them in. Um, but this is this would be something more, not necessarily for just the power conferences, but they, they would benefit more than anybody because, you know, the conversation that we had about, you know, Pitt and Syracuse and Virginia Tech, well, none of those teams would be sweating right now in a 96-team world. That's a good point. Patrick, I appreciate you. I appreciate the work that you do and the insight here. Syracuse fans have all kinds of questions, and I think you provided some answers on that. And uh, if Syracuse keeps winning, you're going to see more fans showing up in your mentions. Uh, knocking on the door saying, probably, hey, what's probably, going on? Probably so. I certainly expect to see plenty of Syracuse fans show up at Cap One Arena here in a couple weeks down here in D.C. Absolutely. Thank you so much, sir. We'll catch up down the road, but appreciate your time here today on Syracuse Sports presented by Krause Health. Awesome, Brent. Thanks so much.